Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Meeting the mental health needs of students has emerged as a major focus, and many school districts are struggling to figure out how best to provide services in this area. It's certainly been a subject of intense interest at this year's annual education conference of the California School Boards Association in San Diego. And that's where we are this week. We'll be speaking with a county superintendent and a school board member who are involved with strategies to cope with the burgeoning need to address student stress and trauma and with therapists who are bringing services to schools. But first, John, let's talk a little bit about some news that actually happened here at the conference. The California School Boards Association announced that it's backing off from its plan to put a $15 billion tax initiative on the November 2020 ballot. That would have resulted in a massive infusion of funds for schools and brought the schools up to the national average. The organization said it would try to put it on the ballot in 2022. So, John, just remind us, what would the initiative do? So the full and fair funding initiative would raise about $2,500 per student by taxing wealthy individuals earning more than a million dollars and businesses earning more than a million dollars. The other initiative called the Schools and Communities First Initiative would be the first serious challenge to the tax restrictions imposed by Prop 13. It's called the Split Roll Tax, heavily backed by the California Teachers Association, and that would raise about $12 billion by raising property taxes on commercial properties and keeping residential properties pretty much the same. That's right. Only about a third of that money would go to schools. The rest would go to cities and counties. And we're pleased to have Troy Flint. He's a senior director of communications for the California School Boards Association with us. Troy, what was the thinking about uh, why you decided to push this back? Not you, but your organization pushed this back a couple of years. Right. A lot of thought went into it. It wasn't an easy decision, but ultimately we felt we needed to be not just idealistic, but pragmatic and take the path that gave us the best chance for ultimate success. We all know what a difference that $15 billion could make for California's public schools, and that's why we've been pushing full and fair funding so hard. Uh, But at the same time, when we were looking at the polling, the data suggested that if we were to go ahead with this measure, and there's another measure on the ballot, the Schools and Communities First measure, what the data showed is that the combination of two measures, both of which are going towards school funding on the same ballot depressed the chances, and it looked like our particular initiative may not pass in that scenario where you have two dueling initiatives on the ballot, and we didn't want to take that risk. A lot goes into a campaign, and if we rally our members behind something, we want it to be successful. We don't want to take the chance that we're going to invest all those resources, get people excited, and then we fall short, and that hinders our chances of passing something in the future. We want to go when we have the best opportunity to obtain those resources that are going to make a difference for kids. Troy, my understanding is that when you presented it to the Delegate Assembly on Wednesday, there was some dissatisfaction, some unhappiness in the hall. Can you explain that? 
I think once we explained our rationale, the majority of the delegates understood the calculus, but certainly there was a segment of people who strongly wanted to push ahead with full and fair funding. Uh, those people just think the time is right and the need is great. That's why people want this measure to move forward because they understand the need is so great and the stakes are so high in terms of us not being able to give our students everything they need to be successful and so that every single kid can have a chance at a quality education. At the same time, we have to be uh, pragmatic and not let our idealism lead us down a path that ultimately is going to be less successful. That was Troy Flint, Senior Director of Communications for the California School Boards Association. John, uh, any, any quick thoughts? Well, I think that California School Boards Association is really counting on Governor Newsom to say, I don't want two tax initiatives on the ballot, so let's try and settle this and come up with one that both sides can agree on. And that simply hasn't happened, and CTA and other organizations are really intent on going ahead with a split role. So I think CSBA had to make a decision, and it said, not this year. Well, let's move away from money and politics, as important as both of those issues are. Let's turn to the issue of mental health, which really is a fundamental issue that so many kids and, as it turns out, teachers are facing. And particularly, we're going to be looking at San Mateo County. That's just south of San Francisco. It's an area that is really turning its full attention to how to address the stresses and traumas that students are experiencing. The Sequoia Union High School District embodies those tensions. Its students come from some of the state's wealthiest communities as well as some of the most economically stressed areas. We're very pleased to have with us today at the CSBA conference Nancy McGee, who is the County Superintendent of Schools in San Mateo County. And we're also pleased to have Carrie Dubois, who is a longtime school board member at Sequoia Union High School District based in Redwood City. Let's start with you, Nancy McGee, uh, your county superintendent. One of the gratifying developments, I'm sure you'll agree, is that there's now greater attention being focused on mental health services and generally wraparound services, meeting the needs of students and families. So how do we even begin to offer those services? Well, I've been in San Mateo County for nearly 10 years, and when I arrived at the County Office of Ed, there wasn't any coordination of school-based mental health services. Each district was doing its own thing. People were following different protocols. And one thing we recognized was that in order to really make a difference, we had to work in a more coordinated way. So we've been doing a lot of work through county-level protocols. We've developed uh, school-based mental health collaboratives in the various communities. They help us understand what the trends are and what the concerns are. From that, we've been able to build countywide protocols like a suicide prevention toolkit. We have a human trafficking protocol that we teach with our school administrators. But human trafficking, you mean? I mean children who are sexually exploited. It's a definite concern for communities, especially those students who come from vulnerable communities. It's a, a new way for gangs to have commercial enterprises. You were a teacher for many years before becoming a school administrator. Have you noticed a change in, in students, a higher degree of stress and trauma? 
Well, to be honest, yes, I have seen a change. It's always been important as a teacher to connect with students in a relational way, to know their stories and to understand the challenges they have. In our current climate, with the addition of social media, such a distraction and such a multi-layered approach to the ways in which kids are growing up and getting their information, that we see elevated examples of suicide rate, self-harm among our students. And I would add that in the county, I had a, you know, a lens of focusing on what our needs were, but as the county superintendent, I connect with other superintendents across the state. And without fail, nearly every single county superintendent expresses concern around the mental health needs of their students and the high suicide rate across the state. Let's turn to Carrie Dubois, school board member in Sequoia Union High School District. This county superintendent talks about the counties, lots of schools, but you dealing with a particular community. How are you able to start even meeting the needs of students in, in this very challenging area? Well, I, I do a lot of advocacy for the most at-risk youth, and I think uh, what's important is really understanding each kid's individual story. So as an example, I've done a lot of work trying to understand foster youth in our community, and they travel around a lot. So as a school board member, I can advocate for kids that are even a very small population, but a very vulnerable population. So as an individual board member, I can bring awareness. Their stories are similar to a broader group of kids. But does this mean putting counselors in every school? I mean, what, what, what sort of the basic building blocks here? No. So what I've learned in working with Nancy McGee and others in our county, um, like I became very passionate about trauma-informed learning systems. So it's more than just counselors. It's understanding how the brain works. So kids of trauma, and this could be high-poverty kids, or it could be a high-wealth kid, right? Kids who have been exposed to trauma they have a hard time. They can't just sit in the classroom and get it into gear. So it's really a district-wide or school-wide training so that people understand the effects of trauma and how that impacts the brain and how it impacts learning. So what I advocate for is that every staff member needs to be trained on the latest brain research. This is really important. And you have to have strategies in the classroom, right? So if a kid, um, I like to use the examples of kindergarten kids because that makes it really clear. If there is a little boy in a kindergarten class who's really disruptive, it's not just sending him to the principal's office. It's understanding why he can't sit and listen, right? And that's specific training for that kindergarten teacher, and she has to have strategies to engage that kid. Sending him to the principal makes it worse because you're removing him from the class environment, you're removing him from peers. What you're talking about is something that uh, Governor Newsom is really putting on the forefront of his agenda. Appointed a Surgeon General, Nadine Burke Harris, and that's, this is a major area of really trying to uncover trauma mm -hmm. and how we can deal with it. How do you create a culture within your schools so that students feel more open to coming and discussing the issues that they're experiencing? Nancy McGee. 
I can say that um, from the County Office of Education, we run schools in the juvenile justice system and for community schools where kids have been removed from their regular school sites. So they've already experienced fragmented education. But what we brought into our systems is restorative practices. So we run restorative circles inside the classrooms, and we also run restorative circles for the educators themselves to help understand the needs of the students and they need additional support in order to help these kids move forward. When you say we, are you talking just about the schools that you run or are you talking about working with other districts in the county as well? At the County Office of Education, we run trainings for all our school district partners in both trauma-informed practices and um, restorative justice. So we train counselors, teachers, administrators. We work with probation and train the probation officers. And then we follow up and do coaching in the school districts. And then those people go back and experience success and then come back and we fill in a a second year cohort. So that's the way a culture starts to take over, either in a school, a school district, or a county. Let me ask you, Carrie Dubois from the Sequoia Union High School District, how many classrooms then would you say have incorporated this trauma-informed approach? I mean, how far along are we? I'm actually very excited by my district. So our board priority for us now is the social-emotional aspect. And what my district has done is we've partnered with the county because the county has experts. They have people that have done this work deeply. There's been so much damage by the school reform movement and No Child Left Behind. I mean, that damage we're still living with. So with such a focus on academics, what we've done with some kids is we've you know doubled up on support classes and so that means that they can't take electives. So especially kids with, uh, who've been exposed to trauma, they need music more than anybody. But we've done this terrible thing by focusing so much on academics and taking away the things that make kids thrive in school communities and the things that make kids discover their passion and their talents. I am a fierce advocate that that was a huge problem and we need to correct that. We've been talking with Nancy McGee, County Superintendent of Schools in San Mateo County, and Carrie Dubois, who is a school board member in the Sequoia Union High School District. I want to just get in one last quick question. Manny, is this affordable? Absolutely affordable. This is about mindset and commitment, period. We have built this uh, coalition for safe schools and communities in San Mateo County over the last six years with almost zero dollars. And it's been all about political will and commitment from the top leaders. And we have moved our community very far in these various ways to build safety nets in for our students to be successful. Certainly as we build the work out and try to sustain it, we need to bring in resources, but that comes when you start to make change. Okay, well on that note, thank you so much for joining us today and thank you for your work. Nancy McGee, County Superintendent of Schools in San Mateo County, and Carrie Dubois, who is on the school board in Sequoia Union High School District. Thanks for talking with us today. You know, Lewis, there's recognition that school districts do not have the resources and expertise for mental health services on their own. Superintendent McGee mentioned that there are partnerships with counseling and mental health experts, and one of these organizations that's somewhat unusual is Acknowledge Alliance in Mountain View. Yeah, and they're providing services in the South Bay, in the San Francisco Bay area. And we asked Sarah Kremer and Alexandra Papa from the organization to join us. They did present at the conference, 
And I asked Sarah Kremer what her organization offers that school districts can't offer on their own. Well, within our resilience consultation program, we are primarily providing support to teachers and school staff and administrators, which is very unique. Teachers show up every day with their own personal challenges and struggles, and they are also facing them professionally. And we are there to listen, we are there to support them, and we are there to help them be more resilient so that they can go in and support their students be more resilient as well. So how does that actually work? When do you meet with the teachers? It works a lot of different ways depending on the school and depending on our exact service. But in general, when teachers are free, so sometimes when teachers have prep periods, sometimes during lunch or recess, and sometimes even before and after school. When they have a need to meet with us, we're there to support them. And how much of a need is there? I mean, are teachers coming to talk with you? Yes, we've seen a definite increase in the last three to five years of high rates of teacher stress and administrator stress and school staff stress. They're feeling it from students that are bringing in more stress as well as their families and sometimes they're experiencing it in their own personal lives as well. Are there things that they talk with you that perhaps they would not be able to talk to other administrators and, and staff in the school? Absolutely. So when we come in, we are outside of the school district. We are outside of any kind of an evaluatory group, and we also hold confidentiality. So we hear everything from our teachers and administrators that we support, whether it's personal, things going on in their own lives with their children, with their spouses, with their parents, aging parents sometimes. And then we hear about struggles that they have professionally working with colleagues, meeting the demands of students and their parents, as well as the next thing that's coming down from the district that they have to prepare for. Let me ask you, maybe it's an obvious question, but is it necessary for teachers to deal with their own issues along these lines in order to be effective with kids? Or maybe that's the whole point of this. <laughs> well, we think it is important um, because teachers are really effective at teaching, but we also want them to make connections with their students because when students feel seen and heard and supported, they are more engaged in learning and they are better able to take those lessons and apply them year to year. So if teachers are feeling connected and feeling grounded themselves, then that's going to be communicated with students really easily. So let me ask you, Alexandra Papa, I see you describe yourself as a transition therapist. What is that? This is part of the collaborative counseling program where it was originally started to help students coming out of juvenile hall, kids who are on probation, transition back into a school setting, and then also to help the kids that are, of course, at risk of having to leave high school because of issues with the law. What I do is I do individual therapy with high school students, grades 9 through 12, and we provide intensive therapy services as well as collaterals with teachers as needed. So how many students are you really able to see? My caseload ranges from 18 to 22 students per week. And is it like an hour-long session? How does that, how does that work? It's really up to the student. Some students aren't ready for a full hour, but some students are. So if it's just one class period of 30 minutes, I can do that. But there are some students I'll see for a full hour if it's really clinically indicated that they need that time. And just give us an idea of what are some of the issues that you, common issues that you are dealing with. Depression, anxiety, PTSD. Anxiety can range from social anxiety, school anxiety, home anxiety, a lot of PTSD. PTSD around what issues? 
post-traumatic stress around immigration issues is pretty common, um, as well as domestic violence at home. That's something that's not uncommon. A parent who might have an addiction or sort of other family dysfunction issues that occur. And is it a matter of triage? Are you dealing with most of the kids who you think need this kind of service, or, or do you have to be really selective in choosing the 18 to 22? I think it's a bit of both. I do want to be selective because some students' parents have private insurance. They could receive this service elsewhere, or parents have money to private pay for a therapist somewhere. And so in that way, I think all the students need this service. However, I need to be selective in who, can, who could afford it outside of the school and who cannot. How much of a difference are you making? Are you scratching the surface, or do you think you really are making a major dent in terms of serving kids with these multiple issues? Well, you know, when you ask the question about is this expensive and how, you know, how much can we have on a one person's caseload, I think the, the way to think about this is that it's really expensive for us not to do this work. When we have a whole segment of young people who are exiting the educational system and not graduating and not going on to pursue their potential, that's a problem for all of us. And so we are trying to keep them in the school so that they can continue um, to succeed and to support their families. And when we have teachers who also burn out and leave, they've been there 20, 25 years, and they throw up their hands and say, I can't do this anymore. We want to keep them in the school system if it's right for them so that they can be there and mentor newer teachers. They can keep on teaching. So we feel like this is a way that we can build really deep relationships within each school community and support those school communities being the most resilient that they can. I can imagine lots of teachers feel overwhelmed themselves, and so getting some guidance as to how to actually do this uh, is usually important. So thanks for coming to talk with us. We've been talking with Alexandra Papa, who is Transition Therapist at Acknowledge Alliance, and Sarah Kremer. Well, Lewis, that about wraps it up for this week's podcast. Next week, we'll be back in Oakland. That's right, John, and thanks to our sponsors, as usual, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.